So we're finally on a train getting out of Angles. Uh, we've just finished doing our camp uh, just a few weeks before this. And this is our first time basically getting out of town and getting out of the Baptist's hair. We got train tickets and it was an overnight trip. We all went out uh, to the food car. We had a great meal. So we decided before going to bed, let's go out on the back of the train. And uh, just kind of as we would sometimes do to relax, we would just go have a cigarette. And then we'd come back and go to bed. It was a beautiful night. The sun was setting. It was nice and warm because it was, it was August and it was, it was just a great time of the year. And we just had, we had an epic sunset. Murph and I decided to go back in and get settled into our seats. We go in, but Dave decided to stay out and enjoy the the last bits of rays of sun. When Murph and I got into our seats, uh, we were taken back. There was an Orthodox priest sitting in our seats, asleep with his feet up, covering our entire row. And we didn't know what to do. Um, We weren't going to wake him up and try to explain to him, excuse me, these are our seats. Um, We didn't, Murph and I didn't have the language to be able to do that. Um, And not only that, we didn't want to even wake the guy up. He was a priest. We didn't have much interaction with the Orthodox priests, but they were a little bit scary to us. So uh, we sat there for a minute and looked at each other and talked and said, okay, what what are we going to do? We better go get Dave. You came out onto the back of the train and you were, you were freaked out, and you said, "You said, Dave, what are we gonna do? There's a priest in our seats. We can't <laughs> kick him out. He's gonna put he's gonna put a curse on us if we kick him out of the seats." Yeah. And, and I was like, "Okay, let's see what we can do." And and so like I went back and I saw the priest, and then I, I checked our tickets, and and you know they're all written in Russian. And I went back to you guys, and I said, "You know what? I I don't think it's it's all that serious. I don't think it's a big deal because the priest is sitting in his own seat." Our seats are right behind him. Fifteen years ago, we spent a year together in Russia, and it has stuck with us ever since. Russia became a permanent part of who we are. Through the good and the bad, we found the motherland to be a place like no other. Consider this podcast our love letter to Russia. I'm Grant. I'm David. And this is To Russia With Love. So like you were saying, Grant, we were really relieved to be getting away from the Baptists. Uh, This is uh, August. We've been in Russia for three months at this point. And for the first time, we're leaving Angles, we're leaving the Russian Baptists, and we're leaving Russia for a short trip. We had our visas. uh, They were religious worker visas is what they were called. And I don't even think that visa exists anymore in Russia. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they got rid of it. But it was uh, good for three months at a time. So every three months you had to leave Russia and go anywhere that was not Russia and then renew your visa. So that's what we were doing in August. Uh, we were going to leave Russia and we were going to go northwest to the next country over, which was Estonia. And we didn't know much about Estonia, but we knew it wasn't Russia and we knew the Russian Baptists were not there. And we knew there was a consulate in town in Tallinn. And which would make it a lot easier than having to send in forms and just wait around. Right. Yeah. So it was a short, easy trip, you know, a fairly cheap trip. And we could process our visas. So we planned this trip and we were really looking forward to it. I was I was looking forward to it more than I can even describe. The first reason is obvious because we were going to get away from the Russian Baptists finally. All the guilt and the condemnation and and all the judgment, we were going to finally take a break from that. So that's obvious. 
But more than that, this was, for all three of us, I think, this was our first vacation on our own as legal adults. Yeah. And you, Grant, you had just, I think you just turned 21 at the time when we left. Yeah, I, I turned 21. I, have, I hadn't uh, drinking alcohol before then. And um, so this kind of felt like a little bit of like a spring break trip for us. You know, we, uh, we weren't in college or whatever, but it felt like a way to kind of get out and kind of cut loose and uh, not worry, you know, what, like you said, what the Baptists uh, were, were looking over our shoulder, but we didn't feel like we had our parents looking over our shoulder or our pastors or, or any of that. We were able to just kind of get out and just just be ourselves and enjoy ourselves in our own environment. Yeah, I mean, all of us, all three of us, uh, we'd grown up really deep inside the whole church subculture back in California. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I, we had been legal adults for a few years at this point. I had finished college by then. I uh, had been away from home for a while. But because I was I was always in that church scene, I never really let myself have a vacation that was just a vacation. Yeah. Which is weird because that's really unusual for a lot of most people, I think, <laughs> most adults that age. Most of our vacations, I think, in high school and stuff, you know, when we had time off during spring break, uh, our churches had set up, you know, missions trips to Mexico or we're going to do this or we're going to go to camp or whatever it was. So there was never any like we're just like just go and relax, you know, sit on the beach um, and do nothing. <laughs> and that this was kind of the first time for us to be able to do that, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, that's something we had in common with the Mormons. You know, it's it's like just go, go, go. You, it's from high school to college. They go to BYU for a couple of years. They go on their mission. And there's just no breaks in there to just have time to just be a, a kid, you know, just be a young adult. So like you said, that idea of a spring break, you know, you know, with t- taking away some of the most negative stuff in the spring break scene, but this idea of a young, early 20s kid just going somewhere to cut loose, this was our chance to do that. Yeah. So we were on a train going to Tallinn, Estonia. Yeah. So first we took the train from Saratov, which was the city next to Angles. We took the train from there to Moscow. And I think we started uh, <laughs> we started cutting loose right as soon as we got on the train, I think. Like as soon as we got out of the city grounds of Saratov, I remember I had bought a I bought a Cuban cigar in Saratov, so <laughs> I went to the space between the train cars and I smoked a Cuban cigar and and uh, we ordered some beers in the train car and I think for you and Murph both wasn't that those were your first beers in your life, weren't they? Yeah, I just turned twenty one. Murph was younger, but uh, uh, for me, I can only speak for myself. I don't know if those were his firsts, but yeah, that was my first there on the the train. Uh, it, you know, we we got to. We got to Moscow, and it was kind of like everything just let loose. Um, we, you know, went out and bought a pack of cigarettes, bought some more beers. You could drink while walking on the street. So we, I remember walking around having a beer. Um, Food-wise, we, you know, we had uh, we went to Sbarro's, we went to McDonald's in Moscow. We were only in Moscow for like an afternoon, but uh, we hit all the different places: getting pizza, getting hamburgers. I think we found like that shawarma place in the train station. Oh, remember that? Like the oh, best shawarma. shawarma ever. That's that's still the best shawarma I've ever had. They had this this spicy sauce that I've never found anywhere else. <laughs> and it was that was right at the, the train station with the trains that left for St. Petersburg and to go to the Baltic countries. Yeah. And it was just right outside. 
But <laughs> I remember, I think it was Murph and I, we had bought one of these like pornographic magazines called Votak. And it wasn't even like that enjoyable. It was just the principle that it was like sticking it to the Baptists. And so we were like standing there on the corner eating shawarma, smoking a cigarette, which I didn't even enjoy smoking either. But you just you have to do it to rebel. <laughs> and so we're we're drinking out of a big bottle of beer and smoking and reading this pornographic magazine and eating the drip shawarma's dripping juice all over us <laughs> and just like total decadence, <laughs> just like letting every vice all together at once. Yeah. So that way. So when we saw the 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 priest on the train, you know, from Moscow to uh, St. Pete's or from St. Pete's to Tallinn, Estonia, we were thinking like, oh, no, is this a sign? Is this is this punishment for, you know, for having a first beer or for for getting cigarettes? <laughs> like we're rebelling against the church. We're rebelling against the Baptist. This was a little bit of us kind of saying screw you to them without actually saying it to their face. Yeah. And then we see this priest sitting there and we're like, oh, no, like we're being uh, <laughs> we're we're going to get in trouble. And uh, this is a punishment. We're going to have to we're, we're not going to be able to sit in our seats and sleep. We're going to have to stay up all night and all of this. Um, which kind of uh, shows like some of our, you know, our thoughts. And these are kind of messed up thoughts, but uh, you grow up in the church and you always, and many people often think, you know, uh, somebody's out to get me, whether that's uh, myself, my parents, my pastor, God. You know, a lot of people have this view of God as being this uh, being who's just ready to crack down on uh, sinners. And, uh, and so that kind of popped up during that moment. Right. <laughs> I almost, I almost expected the priest to just sit up and look me right in the eye and say, I know what you did this summer. David. <laughs> like he, he's going to have some direct connection to God. He's, he's got the goods on me. Yeah. But he was, he just kept sleeping and we got in our seats. But uh, even on that train trip, you know, we we're drinking beers and having fun, but it was, it was interesting. Like we, it was it was almost like the this sense of of the the sacred the transcendental it was following us still yeah and not in the sense of you guys are doing something bad and you're going to get in trouble for it but that on that same train trip and this is the train this is the train leaving from so we went from Moscow to St Petersburg and this is the train from St Petersburg to Tallinn to Estonia yeah so this is the international train and on that train we went to the dining car we uh, had some dinner there and uh, you and I had dinner with this a Russian Jewish guy in the dining car. Yeah. And he was a fascinating guy. Like super interesting dude. He uh he hadn't I think he had a few businesses. So he had enough money and time to travel a lot. And he uh but he didn't travel to go on, you know, these debaucherous spring break things like some guys just go to see how what how many countries they can get drunk and have sex in. Yeah. And that was not this dude. Uh-uh. This guy, he lived in Nepal. He went to Tibet and India, and he learned Sanskrit, and he learned Tibetan. He, he, like, he spoke like 10 languages, and he would go to these places and live in the monasteries with the Buddhists in Tibet, and he learned the, the languages and read their scriptures. And so we were talking with him about theology and spirituality, and, and he's comparing like, the Eastern religions with Russian Orthodoxy and, yeah. and the similarities and... And how much Russian Orthodox Christianity is closer to that Eastern meditative state of mind. Just a fascinating guy. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing him and thinking like, man, this guy knows his stuff. You know, you said we talked about theology. We talked about the Bible. And he knew the Bible, like even our Bible. He was Jewish, um, but he knew the Christian Bible, the New Testament. He knew, you know, 
about all these Eastern religions that he had gone and visited and studied. And it was just really cool. Like, yeah, his, his quest was for knowledge and for truth, uh, not for, you know, going out and getting whatever type of pleasure I can through these physical things. Um, and that was really a kind of a cool, cool thing to kind of see and see like, hey, this is possible to cut loose, but not in a debaucherous way, not in a, a way that's going to hurt me, you know, eventually down the road, but in a way that's going to help me grow and become smarter and see the world in a different lens, in a different way. Yeah, that, that conversation with the guy, it it lodged in my subconscious at the time. Um, I don't know if I really processed it. I was just fascinated by him, by how much he knew and how many places he'd been. And not to mention his English was better than both of ours put together. <laughs> and he was he was from Russia. He spoke like perfect English and all these other languages. But it was, I think subconsciously, it was this suggestion that, that stayed in the back of my head that like, you know what, life life is more than either being a strict Baptist with a stick up your butt or else being a spring breaker and just doing nothing but, you know, going buck wild. Like, like there is a different way to seek meaning and also to enjoy life. You can do both of those things. Yeah. But at the time we were, we were just looking for the, we were looking for the fun at the time. We, yeah. we were just looking to speak English, eat American food and drink beer. Yeah. And that was, that was a great dinner. But I think the next morning when we pulled into Tallinn, Estonia, you and Murph got up and had breakfast with a totally different type of guy, right? Yeah, I mean, breakfast is a relative way to put it because I don't think there was any food. <laughs> it was just a bottle of vodka. Oh <laughs> man, was, we we went there, and I was I was really feeling like some eggs or some kind of salty breakfast food, and uh, and I saw a plate outside the dining car, and it looked like fried eggs, but then it turns out it was just a sweet bread with half of a peach inside it. Huh. And uh, but we went in and sat down with this Russian guy, and I think he had been there all night, and he had just bought a fresh bottle of vodka, so he invited us to share it with him, and and I was chatting with him and translating for Murph, and so we had like six shots of vodka for breakfast, and uh, we we were buzzing pretty good when we got into Tallinn, and it's this bright, beautiful, sunny day, with those long days that you get way in the northern part of the hemisphere. The sun's shining, we've got a nice vodka buzz, and then the train stops, and we pull into Tallinn, the capital of Estonia. Estonia is a fascinating country, and in a lot of ways, the history of Estonia is the history of many of the world's nations and peoples, because it's not the history of a big empire, uh, it's not the history of a huge, powerful country. Yeah. It's the history of a small country that's gotten passed back and forth throughout history that has had to make a lot of different difficult deals, decisions, Faustian pacts with all the big guys hmm. uh, just to survive. So Estonia, it's interesting because Estonia, Estonians as a people, as a language, as an ethnicity, they've been around for a long time. In fact, Estonia, it was the last country or one of the last countries in Europe to be Christianized. Hmm. I mean, some countries were Christianized with... When Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire, obviously. Yeah. You know, we're talking, what, 4th century. Estonia wasn't Christianized until the 13th century. That's super late wow. for a European country to stay, still be pagan. And so they held on to their old, the old pre-Christian traditions, um, you know, had a very distinct cultural identity. The language, obviously, has been around for centuries. Despite that, in all those centuries and millennia, 
of being a country, Estonia has only been independent for, I don't know, like <laughs> like less than 100 years. Wow. It's ridiculous. Um, I mean, they've been ruled by everybody, by the Germans, the Danes, the Swedes, the Russians. <laughs> like, everybody has been in charge of Estonia except for Estonians for a lot of their history. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so so it's a bummer. It's like you know, after they got Christianized, uh, Pope Innocent III, he declared a crusade to defend the Christians living in Livonia. Livonia is what they used to call um, a place that included a lot of Estonia. And uh, so from then on, the German Livonian Brothers of the Sword, they took power in Estonia. So for a long time, uh, Germans were in power there. There were these German uh, nobility so the upper classes, the nobility spoke German. And the history is extremely complicated after that. But basically, you're talking about a little country just getting passed back and forth like a pawn in the game. I mean, there's a, there's a long time that the Swedes ruled it. Uh, there's a period where the Lithuanians and the Polish were in charge, the Danes. And around the 1700s, that's when the Russians took over. Mm. So this is obviously the pre communist Russian empire, the Tsars took over Estonia. They were in charge for a, a couple centuries, really. And it wasn't until around World War I and when the Ruf Russian Revolution is starting, that's when Estonia finally gets independent. So they were independent as a country for about 20 years. And I mean, only a couple of those, year, those years were uh, had democracy. Eventually, a, a strong arm government comes to power in Estonia. Then World War II starts to happen. Fascism's on the rise in Europe and the Soviet Union is preparing for a confrontation with fascist Germany. Yeah. And so in World War II, Estonia is getting passed back and forth, conquered and reconquered between the Russians and the Germans. And so they've been occupied for, by Russia for so long that uh, eventually Germany invades Estonia. And this is the crazy thing. When Germany invaded, you know, Germany invaded a lot of countries in World War II. Um, you know, and a lot of those countries were terrified when it happened. You see footage of uh, France getting invaded by Germany, and the people are just staring at the German tanks. They're, you know, stoic, and they're like, like, man, what is going to happen next? This is terrifying. Yeah. And when you look at footage of Estonia when the German tanks are coming in, it's nuts. People are, are waving and cheering. They're celebrating. And they're holding flowers. Huh. Yeah, celebrating. And this is not because Estonians are Nazis. It's not because Estonians are racist. It's because they were so sick of one empire being in charge, they were happy for anybody to come in and free them from the other guys. Ah. So Hitler took advantage of that, and what Hitler did is he just said, hey, you know what? I don't like you guys being you know, suffering under the Russian yoke. I just want to free you guys. I'm going to make you independent <laughs> from Russia, and then I'll leave. I'll leave you alone. Well, that, that, sounds, and, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, you know, sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a reasonable guy. Yeah. But it was like they were so sick of so many years of being dominated by this country, which Russia just happens to be the latest in a series of countries that's taken them over. They were like, anybody who's going to free me from the Russians, I will welcome them in. Yeah. And that's why I say that the history of Estonia, it's the history of the world, because there that's the history of so many different nations and peoples in the world that get passed around like pawns in this geopolitical game. Yeah. What it makes me think of is the conquest, uh, the invasion of Mexico by the Spaniards, ancient Mexico, before the Spanish came here. Hmm. Um, Cortez came here. And when he came, the Mexica Empire, known as the Aztecs, the Aztecs had conquered a lot of ancient Mexico. And so they were you know, taking tribute and taxes and sacrifices from their neighbors. And a lot of the neighboring civilizations were really sick of the Aztecs. So Cortez came in and did the exact same thing that Hitler did. 
he came, he met with all of the people who were sick of the Aztecs. And he said, you know what? I just want to liberate you guys. I want to, you know, I don't like to see you suffering under the Aztecs. I just want to free you, help me out, and I'll free you, and then I'll leave. And of course, we can see how that turned out. Yeah. You know, we speak Spanish here in Mexico today. So obviously, Cortez did not leave, but people were so desperate. They said, you know what? It sounds like a good deal. Maybe I'll take it. Yeah. So when we look at the history of Estonia, it, it's so similar to so many other histories of peoples who have, for most of their history, have not had self-determination, have not had a homeland, yeah. and uh, are just longing to have that. I mean, this is, that's the history, most of the history of the Jewish people is that way. Yeah. It's the history of the, Rom- the Roma people known as gypsies. It's the history of the, the Kurds. Um, obviously, the history of so many indigenous people in the Americas and other places. It's having your own language, your own culture, your own identity, but not having this sense of agency, not having self-determination, your own homeland or government. Mm. And uh, so Estonia has a lot of lessons for us when it comes to just, you know, basic empathy for people who don't have to be, don't happen to be part of one of the big, powerful nations. So what happens after World War II? Did they just realize, oh, Hitler kind of lied to us? Uh, we don't, let's get him out of here. Uh, the the Russians weren't so bad. I mean, obviously they, they, uh, came under the the USSR uh what how did that how, right. how did that come about yeah i mean eventually it was i wouldn't even attribute it to you know a decision on either side of the estonian people themselves it's more just the the russians won the war it was uh. a you know the russians out strategized the germans and so they took estonia back okay and so after they so the russians drove the germans out of estonia and then they took it back under their wing and said, guess what? You guys are a Soviet republic now. Huh. You're part of the USSR. And uh, so then the Soviet period, you've got that from like the 1950s up to the fall, um, perestroika. So during the Soviet period, there was this slow process uh, that a lot of Estonians call Russification, hmm. where through this process of uh, deporting some Estonians from Estonia to other parts of the USSR. A lot of times these were people who had collaborated with the Germans. Yeah. And so they're deported to other parts of the Union. At the same time, they're moving in uh, migrants who are Slavic Russians into Estonia. Yeah. And so the, the demographic of Estonia really changes at that time. In uh, around 1945, end of World War II, ethnic Estonians were 94% of the population. Uh, by 1989, the end of the USSR, they had dropped to 61%. Yeah. So uh, there was this slow process of changing the demographics of of their nation, which a lot of Estonians uh, resented that. Yeah, and that was a big part of uh, what came next. In uh, the years of 1987 through 1991 was what was called the Singing Revolution. It started as a response to the Soviet plan to mine phosphate in Estonia with potentially devastating effects to the environment and Estonian society. A part of that was the Russians were planning to bring in workers from other parts of the Soviet Union to come and do that without really asking or telling or or even caring what the local Estonians thought about this project. Now, although that is kind of readily seen as the catalyst for the singing revolution, many factors converged to allow such a protest and rebellion. Glasnost and perestroika, the beginnings of the fall of the Soviet Union, the general weakening of the Soviets allowed an openness for the people to disagree with the government. Right. The Finnish TV, uh, you know, TV waves 
float through the air, <laughs> the, the Estonians yeah. were close enough to Finland that they were able to get Finnish television on their sets. And um, they were able to see the difference between the West and the East, the communists and the capitalists, I guess you could say. And it gave them a glimpse into Western life. Right. And that added to their dissatisfaction with the Russian occupation. I've known some Estonians throughout the years, uh, some different uh, missionaries, different pastors that I've gotten to know, really great people. And uh, they've they've always talked about the singing revolution as being this amazing event. And I never really understood kind of what went on until I did a little bit of research. Yeah. So why why do they call it the, the singing revolution? Yeah. What, what's that? Well, the about? short story is they literally sang themselves to freedom. <laughs> What? In uh, in 1988, you saw the rise of uh, political music being used as a tool to unite the Estonian people in peaceful defiance of the Soviet government. There was a, a festival called the Song of Estonia Festival on September 11th, 1989. And um, basically it was a big music festival. Thousands of people came to Tallinn and experienced that. And this is after a year of different music festivals happening and people kind of coming together. Because the weakening of the Soviet Union, people were allowed to congregate. Um, and up until this point, up until that concert, uh, the September 11th concert, it was just basically concerts with political music. But at that concert, uh, that was the first time there was kind of a public declaration of the desire for freedom and autonomy from the Russian government. Wow. I read something about um, a movement where there were thousands of Estonians basically holding hands throughout the whole country, like across the country, and they were just singing. There's these five songs that they would kind of sing um, that were really popular, but thousands of people got involved. And what's really spectacular about it, it was one of... <laughs> One of the only like peaceful, bloodless revolutions that's happened throughout history. So, no, not one person died in the revolution. According to the sources that I that I saw, uh, not one person died, at least wow. in violent in violent protests. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some some old guy probably had a heart attack in his home <laughs> at some point. Yeah, not related to the revolution. Though. But uh, but yeah, so so like, how amazing is that? Like these folks who have been passed around, as you said who have been kind of taken over, dealt with Nazi Germany, dealt with the Soviets, dealt with the Tsars. They were able to come together in a peaceful way and basically declare their freedom. And it worked. At the same time that yeah. they were doing it, uh, Lithuania and Latvia were also making movements uh, to declare their own freedom. And it, it worked. Uh, Iceland was the first country to acknowledge them as, as a free country, but then other countries kind of followed suit and continued on with that. Now, you mentioned that some of, some of the songs were political songs, but um, like in addition to whatever the songs were about, I would assume they were singing in the Estonian language, not in the Russian language. And at that time, just to sing in the Estonian language was a political statement. Yeah. As part of that, part of that Russification process, and this is when I was talking to old timers in Estonia, um, people who remember the old days, told me about part of the Russification was that you had to learn Russian in schools. Yeah. And some of the students, they would get punished if they spoke Estonian. They had to only speak Russian in schools. So, so just to speak your own language was an act of, of defiance. Yeah. And I mean, we can see examples of this all over the world, even, you know, look at the early days of the U.S. and of Canada, when there were these residential schools for the native people, where they were forced to give up 
customs and their clothing and their language. And they'd get, people would get wrapped on the wrist if they spoke their own native language. They had to speak English. But Dave, one of the things that I've heard about the Estonian language is it's one of the more difficult languages to learn. Um, I think I think pe- people oh. talk about in Europe, Finnish and Hungarian and then Estonian is the level of difficulty in, in language. Is that true? Oh, dude, I just scratched the surface of it when I was there talking to people. Man, I, if you thought Russian was hard, Russian is a walk in the park compared to Estonian. Mm. It's uh, like the grammar is so much more complicated than Russian's is. Uh, we've talked about these declensions where a noun will change depending on where it is in the sentence. Russian has seven declensions. Estonian has like twice that. It's it's just like a ridiculous amount of ways that a word can change and wow. all these irregular verbs. <laughs> um, so I just, I learned enough phrases to order a beer and to ask somebody if they speak Russian or whatever. Do you speak Russian? And most of the old timers would answer back, like, no, I speak Estonian. And that's that's about all I remember. It's it's insanely hard. Yeah, I think I think I learned thank you and and hello, but I can't, I don't even remember that right now. Yeah, Tere is hello. I remember that. Ölu is beer. I remember that one too, which is amazing because I had a lot of beer there. <laughs> so language is such a big part of identity, and in the same way that the Estonians used their language and came back to their language to find that identity, we were kind of re-encountering our own language in our culture when we arrived in Estonia. Since they spoke uh, pretty good English by the time we were there, uh, we didn't have that in Russia. So when we came back, it was like floodgates back to English. So we get off the train in Tallinn. Uh, we've arrived in Estonia. This is the place where we're going to finally be able to, to just kick back and speak English and eat food we're familiar with and not worry about Russia or the Baptists. And in addition to all of all of that relieving stuff, Tallinn is just beautiful. Yeah. We get off the train and and it's like it's like Disneyland. It's it's all these ancient castles and and stone walls and like it looked like fantasy land, but it's it's real. This is a real castle that's a thousand years old. Yeah, it's kind of a medieval medieval castle kind of look, medieval town and it was, yeah, just beautiful cobblestone streets everywhere. At least in Old Town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the Old Town part, the downtown. But Old Town, it's enormous. It's tons of of these really cool medieval alleyways and big stone walls. And and I think within an hour of getting there, we we found ourselves on top of a castle wall and we're ordering beers and drinking a beer on top of this ancient castle. Yeah. And I was like, this is. This is going to be great. This is too good to be true. We uh, we found our hostel and we got checked in there and we decided to go walk around and we're finding our spots. Like we, there was a McDonald's basically in the entrance into the old town. And that kind of became one of our places every day we'd go in and, you know, get our fill of McDonald's. I, we ate, we ate pretty much ate there every day. Yeah, at least at least one meal every day, if not like every every meal some days. We would do like breakfast and then come back for lunch and dinner and <laughs> and uh, I I I gained like fifteen pounds during that week oh, in Estonia. Man. Yeah, I was like I was I was visibly fatter when I got on the train when we left. I supersized myself. Yeah, well we we would go there. Uh, I remember right there in the town square uh, on one side of it there was this medieval restaurant. We went there one night and we had bear meat. Oh, I love that place. That was really great. I remember asking them like, "Hey, did." 
because they were it, the people, the waiters, the servers were all dressed up in medieval garb. It was there was no electricity. Um, it was all firelight. Um, and I remember asking like, "Do did did people use forks and knives back then?" And they're like, oh, it's you didn't you don't have to." And so I think we ate all of our food just with our hands because <laughs> we wanted to. <laughs> That's right. Wanted to be like medieval, and it was just such a great vibe. <laughs> yeah, I went outside and I took a crap in the alleyway and everything. I was going authentic. <laughs> That's not true. That is not true. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that part. I mean, you didn't see me do it. Yeah, but it was it was beautiful. We got a chance to just walk around and see the old town in uh, just some beautiful places. The, some fun, weird kind of places, too. We were just walking, and at a part of one of the castle walls, there's a uh, a museum called Kick and Cock Museum. The Kick and Cock. The Kick and Cock Museum. <laughs> <laughs> and and we saw that and just kind of lost it. You know, us being these young young men rebelling against the Baptist oppression that we felt for the last three months. You know, anything sophomoric, anything adolescent, like we just loved. And so we're like, oh, it's the Kick and Cock Museum. We got to take pictures. We had a little digital camera. We took pictures and uh, we'll post we'll post one of those up on our Instagram feed so you all can see. Yeah, you can look for the picture on our on our social media. It's uh, I think I'm kicking you right, Grant. Yeah, I think I'm. Yeah, I think so. It's great, but basically, basically in Estonian that means a peek into the kitchen or look into the kitchen. And uh, that building, I think, used to be like the kitchen for the castle. We didn't actually go in the museum, <laughs> but I think it was a lot <laughs> yeah, of we old just... medieval. <laughs> things that you would see in a castle and especially stuff I think from from a kitchen in a castle. Yeah, I, I later heard that it's all uh, the the walls like you walk up this ramp and it goes up and up this circular tower and the kitchen is right in the center of the tower. Uh-huh. So from anywhere in the tower you can look down into the kitchen. It's actually the the language is I I think it's an old German dialect like we mentioned in our history section here uh, how the ethnic Germans were in charge in Estonia for oh, for a few centuries. Yeah. So it's okay. this this old German dialect of looking into the kitchen. So the meaning is actually very boring, but uh, you know that doesn't mean you can't take pictures kicking your friend <laughs> in the cock in front of the museum. I remember one night, um, or not not during the night, during the day, there was this band playing in the middle of the square. And it was a guy on electric guitar, a guy with an upright bass, and a guy just with kind of a snare drum. And oh no no, uh, a guy with an accordion. Some I think later on they had a, a person playing a snare drum, so accordion, guitar, and an upright bass. And they were playing this music in the square, and they were handing out flyers for a concert they had later on that night. I just ate it up. Uh, I think I, I can't remember if you came to the concert, but I know at least Murph and I went to that concert and enjoyed it. It was a group called Billy's Band. I remember their name. It was this Russian group, and they were playing covers of. Tom Waits, right, who you, I, I, that was my first introduction to him, who I love now. Just great, eclectic kind of music. But uh, they were they were Rus- a Russian band who was there touring and spent some time there in Tallinn and had a concert. And I and you bought their CD at the concert. Yeah. I, I didn't go to the concert. Yeah. I still have that CD lying around somewhere. Oh, really? And it's, uh, yeah, they got, yeah, it's the dude, he's singing in this really grovelly voice most of the time and, and doing these funny little intros to the songs. Yeah. And all in that same voice, just like, Mama, yeah, that's and that's how Tom Waits does his does his music, and it's it's great. Yeah, so we had there was a lot of build up to this trip though. 
like ever since even before the the Baptist camp, like when I was coming to my my wits end, I was just thinking, man, if I can just survive till August, till we go to Estonia, we're going to leave Russia. We'll get to, you know, have all the familiar stuff and speak our own language. And I was I was really building it up in my head. I think I built it up too much in my head. I, I don't know about you, Grant, but yeah, but it was by the time we got there and spent a few days there, it was almost too much. It was like too much English, too much comfort, too much familiar stuff. Huh. And I I didn't even know what to do with it. Like it was overwhelming to have that much that much comfort and to not be stressed and not be on my guard. Yeah, I feel like uh I feel like I felt that when we went and watched movies at the theater there. In Russia, the movies that we got were all overdubbed, so it was all in Russian. There was no English in any of the movies. Not hearing English, uh, oftentimes, I think at this point, the mental capacity to try to understand the Russian language when I was just sitting listening to people or sitting watching a movie, it was too much for me. So in some ways, I would just, my brain would shut down. So going to a movie in Estonia that was in English, they did subtitles, but they would keep the language in the original language. It felt like just way too much. It was like information overload where for three months I was used to watching TV or watching movies and seeing the images and kind of trying to piece it all all together. But in this, like I had the images and I had the audio and the English, all this information, it just was overwhelming. (laughs) It was kind of too good to be true. It, It reminds me of these stories you hear about guys who've been in prison for years or decades. And they say that when they get out, it freaks them out. Because there's so many just colors and sounds and music and everything. And choices. Yeah, choices. And, and when you're used to just staring at the four walls of your cell every day and not having that much stimulus, you get like stimulus overload when you get out of there. Yeah. Even though we didn't come back to the States, I think we were experiencing a little bit of reverse culture shock. Uh, going from kind of a rural area in Russia, you know, Moscow is different from Saratov and Engels where we lived. Moscow is a little bit more modern, a little bit more Western, but you go across the border into Estonia in Tallinn and it was a lot more Western. You know, they had been free from Soviet occupation for over a decade at this moment. Um, They were still, you know, rebuilding, but it was a lot more, it just, everything felt more Western. It felt more normal to us, but the normal that we were used to just wasn't normal anymore. And so it was just weird and overwhelming. Yeah, I was... I mean, up to that point, for three months, the only people that we had really spoken English with were, were each other. Yeah. It was the three of us. And so I think we got really weird in, the, in that three months. Yeah. Because it was, it was like our own little world in our apartment. And it was like us three, you know, young guys, early 20s. And uh, the movies that we had, and, you know, there was no YouTube, no Netflix. And so we had our DVDs, and there was a limited collection. And, like, three of them were things like, like Jackass, and we had the Beavis and Butthead movie. <laughs> and... Uh, so like this very kind of celebrating, uh, you know, dumbness and, and our, we developed our own really dumb sense of humor, you know, like the photos we mentioned in a different episode, like taking these goofy naked pictures of ourselves and yeah. like just a really, you know, typical goofy sense of humor that guys in their early twenties have. Yeah. And, uh, so we, we kind of forgot how to, how to interact with society. When we were, when we would talk to each other, we were really kind of rude or seemed, you know, we would use kind of vulgar 
kind of words talking to each other. And even even when we were talking to each other in English around some of our Russian friends, because they didn't speak English, they, you know, they didn't know if there was any difference between the word but or ass. <laughs> right. And so we kind of really got, got vulgar in the way that we talked to each other. We were rude. We were kind of brash and loud. You remember Murph with the Masha, the girl from the church, when Murph <laughs> talked about taking a dump? Yeah, and she, she just picked up on that word and started repeating it. Take a dump, take a dump. <laughs> yeah, he was. He take was. A dump. We got so used to saying everything in English in front of people because most of the people we knew didn't speak it. And and Murph just said to us, he was like, "Oh man, once we get to the church, I gotta take a dump." Yeah, and that was the one <laughs> phrase that she she latched onto. Yeah. So the rest of the car ride, she's just like, "Take a dump, take a dump, take a dump." We kind of brought that into uh, our time back in the Western world, back in Estonia too. Remember those uh, American girls? that we met and we kind of asked them out on a date. We were going to meet up with them for dinner and drinks later on. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was the first big shock when we realized how, how unacceptable we had become to like polite society. Yeah. We, <laughs> we met them. We were, I was excited to meet, to meet Americans and to, you know, speak English with somebody who wasn't the two of you guys. And, uh, they were in some cafe and we sat down with them and I, I, I don't remember what exactly we were saying, but I remember all of them making this scrunched up face. Like who the hell are these guys? <laughs> and just like our, our way of talking, it was very jackass slash beavis and butthead. Yeah. They were they were foreign exchange students, I think. So they were kind of, you know, you, you could put them in kind of this like liberal arts, you know, college student kind of category. And so, you know, they were probably smart, smarter than we were. And we were we were oh, showing yeah. up and we were kind of being a little bit rednecky. We were probably kind of the worst of what maybe the American culture was was putting out there with emulating movies like Jackass and stuff like that, where they were probably more on the better end of things. We, we were exactly the kind of Americans they did not want representing their country. Yeah, but for some... but <laughs> maybe. Like, Loud and ridiculous, but they met up with us, and and I I uh, we had like notebooks, and we, our humor was very like scatological and uh, and physical and stuff. So we had notebooks where we were like drawing phalluses and stuff like that, like just <laughs> stupid, silly things. And that it's and... cool, like like ten percent of the population does it. I've heard, <laughs> according to the movie Superbad. Anyway, man, I, I you know I think back on some of those things, and I just kind of cringe. I'm like, oh, that was me. But um, but that was that was me at the time, and uh, I remember we we asked them out, and they showed up, and they brought some guy friends with them, and I remember like you know out loud we were talking to each other because we were so used to just saying things in English to each other without anyone understanding, but we're like, what they brought these dudes along with them? Like, what do we look like? A, a couple of race uh, a rapists or something? Yeah, and you said it in English in front of them too, <laughs> like not a. Not a super cool thing to say. Yeah. I mean, that there was definitely our filters had kind of gone away by that time. We didn't fit in. Yeah, we didn't fit in anywhere. We kind of built our own little subculture between the three of us, and it wasn't a good subculture. <laughs> yeah, for me, that was the beginning of this this disillusionment where I was saying, man, we're like, man, I don't belong anywhere anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to be part of that conservative church scene. I don't want to be part of the Russian Baptist, that's for sure. And I don't know where I would stand in American culture, but I, I can't talk to educated people in English anymore. My Russian is still limited. Like, I'm just this floating island. Yeah. In Russia, like, for the months that we had been there, we had girls who were interested in us, even though we were being rude and brash they 
couldn't see that because they didn't speak the language. So, you know, there were girls who were interested in us and we were interested in some girls there. And it was great because none of us could communicate with each other. <laughs> so we just, we just like placed like this ideal man or this ideal woman caricature on each other. And that was kind of our, our, the way that we could interact, you know, with girls back there. But then we get here to Estonia and people can understand us, not just the Americans that we met, but the Estonians that we could meet. And, uh, and it just wasn't working anymore. I think the first couple of days that we were, that we were there, we would, you know, stop someone and ask for directions. And at first we would, we would, uh, speak Russian because we figured, you know, okay, it's a former Soviet country. Everybody here speaks Russian. Let's just go that direction. We don't speak Estonian, but they speak Russian. We speak a little bit of Russian. It's our common language. So we'd ask people questions in Russian and sometimes people would just ignore us and just walk away. Other times people would get kind of like visibly upset. And then we, and we realized that we could speak English. Most of the folks there spoke pretty good English. And that really opened up uh, the world to us there. Uh, and I think a part, big part of that was because of that occupation that they've had. Like we mentioned in the, in the history part, you know, Estonia has been occupied by so many countries, yeah, uh, taken over by so many countries. But in, in recent history, with the older generation, there's a lot of resentment against the Russian-Soviet occupation. So even people who, who know how to speak Russian don't like to speak it. Yeah. But again, Estonia, being one of these small countries, like so many countries and ethnicities in the world, they've learned to adapt. And lately in Europe, English has become the, the lingua franca. Yeah. And that's what everyone uses to speak to each other. So when, when you only have a million and a half people who speak your language, you learn other languages to get by and to be part of. They were just starting to join the European Union at the time. And yeah. A lot of them would, a lot of people would travel to other parts of Europe. And so like everybody we met spoke amazing English. Like you had, somebody had to be really old to not speak English, but all the young people spoke incredible English. So like you said, that, that changes the dynamic. And all of a sudden we're not these exotic foreigners who they can idealize. Yeah. Like in, in Russia, I think you and Murph got more idealized than I did first because I'm a big dork. But also because I spoke enough Russian just to make an idiot of myself. And so my Russian was like, it was like second grader Russian. It sounded really bad. So, so like I would try to flirt with a girl and it was just like, ooh, you pretty, me big man, me like. And I just sounded like an idiot. But you guys, you're just speaking this exotic foreign language and it just sounds cool and they don't know what you're saying, but it must be smart. Yeah. But then we get to Estonia and everybody understands every single word we say. Yeah. I remember uh, there was a, an Estonian girl who I asked out on a date, she was selling postcards there in the square and uh, she agreed. And so after work, we met up at a, a cafe. I remember saying to her something like, wow, you speak great English. Like right when we first like met and she's like, how do you know? You don't even know me. Now, obviously she, she said Ooh. it in great English, but it was kind of <laughs> like, oh, you know, where this might've worked in Russia, you know, with, when I'm talking to, someone who didn't speak great English. And I was just trying to flatter Almost them. like a little, little condescending little. Yeah, it was. And, and that really kind of changed a little bit of, of what I was thinking then and how to interact with people. Yeah, it was, it was the, that idealized uh, persona just didn't work anymore for us while we were with people who we could actually communicate with. I feel like that whole trip was kind of a, a journey through a lot of different stereotypes. Yeah. There's the, all the interactions we've mentioned that we had with in Russia with girls in Russia and 
And then going there, it was, I think there were, you know, some positive stereotypes where it was easy to idealize Estonia and Estonians. I felt like it was just a very orderly country. I had all these ideas of everybody being super logical Scandinavian type people. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the stereotypes that I had that like my eyes kind of got open to one night I was coming home and, um, to our hostel where we were staying and it was, it was late. Um, and I would come up the stairway and talk to the, the girl at the front desk. But when I came up the stairway this time, there was, uh, two couples that were there kind of arguing with the front desk. And it was, uh, it was two guys and two women who were prostitutes. Now, I don't know if they were professional prostitutes. I don't know if these guys just solicited them and they decided, yeah, let's go. But they were trying to get a room, you know, just for a couple of hours at the hostel. And the girl at the front desk was saying, no, we don't do that here. So what happened was they kind of went into the stairwell and they were talking a little bit. And the next thing I notice is there's a commotion out there and people yelling. And I'm like, oh, no, like these guys are, you know, beating up on these girls. I'm going to have to step in and do something here. And so I open up the door to the stairwell, but it was the girls beating up on the guys. And I have no idea what happened, <laughs> but, uh, but they were just totally taking it out on them. I think one of them had like taken off her shoe and was hitting the guy with the shoe. But that was, that was kind of a, an interesting change in the stereotype that I was thinking of who those people were. Right. You had some interaction with uh, some prostitutes on that trip too, didn't you? <laughs> I sure did. Uh, not not the kind that most people would imagine. Um, but I did. I met a, a few Russian prostitutes. I went across the uh, across the channel to the neighboring country, uh, Finland. And I just decided to go just to check out this other country. And uh, you and Murph stayed back in Estonia. But I said, I want to go see Finland. I don't know anything about Finland. All I know is that saunas are from there and they have really good reindeer meat. That they eat reindeer. <laughs> and I th- I thought that was exotic. And so I took, the, I took the ferry. I had no, no reservations, no, like no plans. I just showed up at like nine o'clock, which of course that far north in the summertime, the days, the sun stays up till, till what, like 11 at night, I think. I want to say the sun sets. Yeah. And uh, then by three in the morning, it's bright outside again. So I, I get to Finland and I, I just showed up and walked around town and, and I hung out there for a few days and I was, you know, walking around. And again, this is before Google, before any way to really look up, you know, where is a good banya? Where's a good sauna here in town? So I would just ask people. And I found a printed out map and I'd walk around and ask for restaurants. And, and I'm asking around for reindeer and for saunas. And somebody tells me an address and it's on this little side street. And they say, yeah, I think they have a sauna in there. And so I find the address and there's this man in a business suit. He's sitting on a bench outside. But the door at that address, it's this big iron door and there's no sign. And I'm thinking, this doesn't look like a sauna, man. <laughs> and so I went up to the door to, to knock on it. And, and then the guy, I hear his voice from behind me. He's a Finnish guy. And he says, are you here to hump? <laughs> and I turn and I said, I, 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 don't, I don't think so. To hump? Yes. He said, I am here to hump. I like to hump. <laughs> And so I sat down next to him. I said, tell me, tell me about it. Tell me what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that this, it's a brothel. This place is a brothel. And and every now and then this bouncer would open that iron door and it creaks open and some client would step out and like adjusting his tie. And, and so I'm talking to this Finnish guy, he's a businessman and he's in a suit 
And we just start talking about life, and he tells me this is where he comes to hump. And uh, and he tells me about his work, and I tell him that I live in Russia. And and so he we really hit it off, and he said, he said, I like you. You remind me of my son. I want to buy you a prostitute. Oh. And I said, I I really appreciate it, but I'm I'm not into the scene. And he said, let me buy you a drink then. And I said, okay, we can do a drink. I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So then he said, next time the door opens, and there's this really tall African bouncer manning the door. And so I follow the businessman, and we go down. This is how a horror movie starts, by the way. <laughs> like, it's these dark steps. We're going down the steps into this dark underground lair. But then we get down there, and it's really nice. And it, there's a lot of neon lights, and there's a big fancy bar. And so we had some drinks there. He got me, like, six or seven uh, Jack and Cokes, and wow. and we talked all about life. and. And he was telling me about uh, his life and his wife. Uh, She was from a small town in Russia, too. But I guess their marriage wasn't doing so well because he comes to this place. And uh, really interesting stuff, hearing his impressions on the sex workers who worked there. Uh, He told me that all of them were girls from Russia, though, who worked there. Or almost all of them. Wow. And so we're talking. And and then at some point we leave there. And I tell him, you know, I'm kind of hungry and I want to try reindeer. So we go walk all the way across town. Uh, find some outdoor cafe, and he's speaking Finnish and asking if they have reindeer there. They say no, so he orders us a beer in lieu of food. And then he he goes to sit down with these two girls, and he's speaking Finnish with them. And then both of them made this face and stood up and left. And he gets all sad and turns to me, and he says, They are not here to hump. <laughs> and so that, that I figure he's on like a one track mind. And so he says, I know a better place for reindeer. I will get you reindeer. You are like my son. And so we go to a, a different place. And this is also a brothel. Hmm. But this one's walking up the stairs instead of down underground. And so we go up. There's a coat check and everything. And uh, we go inside. And he keeps insisting he wants to buy me a prostitute. And I said, no, thank you. Um, I'll just have a drink. And so I went over. to They have this huge bar area, like a lounge. And I go over and order order a beer, and he goes off, um, you know, to use the other services. And then eventually some of the girls come up, and they're all Russian girls, and I start speaking with them. And the first thing I realized when I start chatting with them, man, something really changed in me in these last three months because it feels good to be speaking Russian. Huh. It, feels, it feels familiar. And my Russian was still not, it was far from perfect. It was still, I had a lot of grammar mistakes, and but it felt natural, and it felt familiar to, to be speaking Russian and it just flowed off of the tip of my tongue. And, yeah. And, uh, and I was talking to these girls. They all kind of laughed at, at my funny accent. I remember one of them said, Like, he talks so funny. He talks so, so cool. <laughs> and they were, they were impressed that I even spoke Russian. And so I just talked with them and, and asked them about themselves and their lives. And, and we just had a normal chat as people. Yeah. And then eventually the, the businessman shows up and he says, he says, okay, you will come sit over here. And I follow him with, like, six of the girls with me. This guy had bought us dinner, champagne, wine, drinks, and there's these steaming plates of reindeer for everybody. Oh. And he, he hooked me up with a reindeer. Nice. And so I sat down, and I there's this beautiful candlelit dinner. So I sat, and I had had this elegant three-course dinner with six Russian prostitutes in <laughs> Finland. Oh, man. (laughs) Eventually, I asked them, you know, how they got into that line of work. I asked them about their lives. You know, some of them didn't want to talk so much. Some of them were really frank and honest. Some talked about the money, obviously. They were from small towns. Yeah. And we just talked as as people. And, you know, they they kept asking if I wanted any of the other services there. And I said no. And 
And then one of them turned to the other and she said, no, I, I know this type. I know this kind of guy. He only does it for love. He's one of those guys. And it was this is really tender, sweet moment from this prostitute in Finland. Hmm. That's that's not the way that I thought the story was going to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does. you think of this story and you think it's going in one direction for a lot of people. Yeah. But I, it was really fascinating to... To get to know these girls and I and to reconnect with the Russian language. And I'd only been in Estonia like a week at this point. Yeah. And I realized I'd, I missed the Russian language. And I missed Russian culture and making these Russian jokes that I had learned. And and just this Russian way of conversing with people. Yeah. I realized that I had missed it. And it had become a part of me. Now, Dave, you've told me before that uh, after I left, you returned to Estonia and it was a totally different experience because of that, because of the the homesickness for Russia. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it was uh, that that was even more strong the the next time I went to Estonia, which was nine months later. So I, I was still living in Russia. You had gone back to California. Uh-huh. I was living in Saratov by then, and I again I had to renew my Russian visa. My three months were up, so I went to Estonia because it was close and cheap. And by then I realized that I was homesick for Russia entirely. I mean that plus the fact that you know I never learned Estonian. Yeah, And so by by this point, the familiarity of the more Western kind of scene and culture and people speaking English, it wasn't even that familiar anymore. Yeah, And it was, I just wanted to get back home to Russia. And the people I would meet in Estonia, I would seek out the Russians who live there to, to talk to them. And, and even meeting Estonians, I found my, myself speaking more Russian than English and trying to be respectful also and apologizing that I don't speak Estonian. But I would meet some of the older folks and talk to them about uh, their life growing up in the Soviet Union, speaking Russian with them. Yeah. And by that point, my Russian was very, it was very fluent. And so I, f- I found I could communicate with a, a really broad gamut of people between the young people in English and the older folks in Russian. Yeah. I met a young man and he took me under his wing. He's a local guy and I got to hang out with him and his friends and I had a great time with them, but I was just missing Russia. Hmm. And you you went back to Estonia too, right? Yeah, Lindsay and I got to visit Estonia when we were living in Sweden. Now, Lindsay had been to Tallinn before without me, and so it was kind of fun to go there together. We, we've both had this uh, kind of image in our mind of going back to Russia and it being very magical and very whimsical because we both connected about going to Russia. But uh, the time we did go to Russia, it wasn't that way. It was kind of a mess. (laughs) But we did kind of experience a little bit of that whimsicalness uh, and and really had a really great time together in Tallinn, Estonia. But we went in the summer of 2014, so 10 years after the last time that you've been there. And the thing that I noticed was when we were there together, you and I, Dave, it was – what, about 10 years after their independence? And so they had been building. You had mentioned they were they were just kind of getting in with the EU. They had their own money at the time. Crowns, the crowns, I think, right? I think by the time you returned again, they had gone to the euro. So they so it was very much more European. It was much, uh, they, they had done a lot to really rebuild their country. There was kind of a lift in culture with art, with food, with shopping. Yeah. There were some really cool kind of uh, structures that were built that were kind of uh, kind of like artistic, built into the buildings in 2014 that we noticed, which was different from the time we, you and I were there. When you and I were there, it was really kind of the old town was like the nice place, and then you'd get out of there, and it kind of got a little bit more rough. Uh, did, you, did you guys find the hostel that we stayed at? Was that still there? Yeah. Yeah, one of the things Lindsay and I did one afternoon was we just walked around and I I was looking for all the places that we went to. You know, so we found the McDonald's. That was still there. That was really easy to find. 
Um, we found there was another place uh, that we would go to late at night, two or three in the morning after, you know, going to some bars and drinking or going playing pool or whatever. There was this little hamburger place that was open all night long. And I remember going and having these great like lamb burgers. I think they were made out of lamb. And when I was there with Lindsay, I didn't know what it was on the menu. So what I ordered was different. So I was a little disappointed, but it was cool that it was still there. And then we found the hostel. We, we were walking around and we found the hostel. And I, I told Lindsay about coming home late and taking like little Estonian pennies and throwing them up to the window to wake up you or wake up Murph or whoever was there to be able to unlock oh, that's right. unlock the door and let us up and get a few hours of sleep in. But yeah, we did find that. One of the cool things that we did, uh, Lindsay and I, we found this Soviet jail tour. There's a jail, a prison, like right on the bay, right there on the on the si- side of uh, the Baltic oh, Sea. I, th- I think I saw that jail the second time I was there. I think I saw it from the oh, distance. Oh, man. It was uh, it was really cool. We we went there and it was an old Soviet jail. It was run down, um, but you could do like a self guided walking tour through it. So we did that. You know, we saw the different cells, and it was it was really depressing to kind of see like you know how people had to live in in these Soviet jails. Right. But that was it was just kind of cool. There was a lot of art around there as well. You know, different people doing graffiti. I think after the jail closed, it became kind of a squatting place. You know, junkies would squat there and get high. But uh, the town of Tallinn was really kind of cleaning up some of those areas. And so that was almost kind of a museum and art with art installations, which was really cool. Wow. Estonia, it was a special place for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Still, still a special place. You know, we, uh, we've talked a little bit about some of our our stereotypes, you know, of people that we've kind of had or stereotypes of cultures. And we kind of came into going to Estonia, you know, thinking it was going to be something and coming out of it, realizing that it's totally different than what we thought of. What were some of your thoughts going into Estonia that were changed when you, by the time you got there? I mean, the way I typified people when I, when we first arrived, I I noticed that uh, people seem to have this more, what I would call this classic Scandinavian look, which of course I've never lived in a Scandinavian country, but I noticed like a lot more of this kind of tall blonde people with a square jaw. And and of course you've lived in Sweden and you know that actual Scandinavian people are a lot more diverse than that. Yeah. That's this image I had in my head. And I noticed a lot more of that phenotype. And I, you know, I had this idea of it just being Kind of this very low-key, orderly place, which I've turned. It turns out that's also the stereotype in Russia that a lot of people have of Estonians. Uh, the yeah. stereotype is that Estonians are are slow, that they talk slow. They're they're all like really uh, just very chill and slow speaking. Um, and of course, you know, obviously that's a ridiculous simplification. In one of my favorite books, the Night Watch series, which I think you've read some of those, it's a fantasy series. Yeah, it's set in Russia, Russian, Russian fantasy. And there's there's an Estonian character who's in it, and he's kind of quiet and a little bit boring. They say he just wears all black. And uh, so that's kind of, yeah, you're right. That is kind of the stereotype that Russians even have of Estonians. Yeah. But then when I spent that second time back, when I spent some good time with the young people, uh, Rando was the name of the guy who uh, really showed me hospitality and hung out with his friends and hanging out with him. I, you know, of course I realized Estonians are much more complex than that. And they know how to party and they know how to have a good time and how to fight and be passionate too. I think the biggest impression that I've, that still sticks with me, having lived in other countries too and traveled a lot more after that, is this idea of Estonia as as the image of so many parts of the world, so many peoples, nations, ethnicities, like most of the world's ethnicities and people groups are not 
these dominant big groups. I mean, yeah. the dominant big groups, there are a lot of people within them, whether it's Russia or China or the U.S., uh. but most of the world's identities, cultural identities, are the small groups. And it's people who are figuring out how to survive living in a world where the big guys dominate everything. And if there's anything that Estonia and hanging out with those people in Estonia taught me, it's to, to respect that and to respect that every group, no matter how small it is, deserves this uh, sense of self-agency. They deserve a sense that they're in charge of their own destiny, that they have a place where they belong, that they have respect, that their identity has respect. Yeah. And that's whether that's an, an indigenous group here in Mexico, which uh, has 200 people in it who speak that language, maybe, or whether that's just a small country like Estonia that that has to play the game and understands that they're going to be a pawn in the game of these big superpowers and that the best they can hope for is to try to survive and try to find something that benefits them. It's really tough, but that's the history of most of the world's peoples. So one of my good friends has been to Estonia a few times. Uh, he's gone on missions trips. And I had a talk with Thomas the other day, and uh, I want to hear a little bit of what his thoughts were about Estonia. Let's take a listen to that. I'm here talking with my friend Thomas Cho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, man? I'm all right, yeah. Um, you and I have been friends for about... 10 years now. And, um, you've probably heard, uh, a ton of these stories that we've been talking about in the past episodes in person though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like, I've actually, I've really, really enjoyed listening to the podcast. I think because, because I, I know Dave, like not really, really well, but like enough. And then I know you really well. So it's, it's fun to hear some of like more in depth, what you guys have gone through. Cause I heard, I've heard some of the stories, but, but yeah. hearing about like the real raw experience of all that. Yeah. Probably most of the times that we've talked with you and shared these stories we've been telling some of the crazy stuff and just some of the funny things yeah but we've never really got gotten deep so that's cool that you uh appreciate that yeah well hey i've got you on thomas because uh you and i have shared some experience uh in two different times but the experience with the country of estonia and in this episode we're talking about our impressions about Estonia and you've been mm. there more to more times than I have I think how 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 many times have you gone it's wait uh this is, so seven times wow <laughs> yeah and, 2008, and, uh, 2010 when... and then 14 15 16 17 18 or is that eight? wow I don't know seven yeah. or eight times that's cool that's way more than me I've been there twice a couple of those times I met with you in Sweden on the way over there so that was always fun to kind of connect yeah. a little bit during those times. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I want to know um, some of your thoughts about Estonia. What was your first impression that first time that you went? I think like my initial impression, because we were, so what we did was we hosted this English camp. And so I think before the camp started, we kind of got like adjusted a little bit. I remember one being like being kind of shocked at how normal it felt. Like it didn't feel, Yeah. it didn't feel uh, like, it didn't feel like the country was behind. Okay, yeah. So it, it felt like familiar enough. I mean, it felt different. Like, it, it didn't even feel like, you know, going to Mexico. Like, Mexico feels way different uh, than going to Estonia. Okay. You know? So there was that. So it was kind of, because I think some of the expectations when you, when you don't really, I mean, no one knows where Estonia is and has really never heard yeah. of it besides the, uh, that movie, Brendan Fraser. Is that Brendan Fraser? That guy. 
the, the where he's the Iceman. The Iceman. The Iceman. Oh, oh okay. Ice that was Man. that was Estonia. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he was an Estonian. But I mean, it, they just mention it like because it sounds really ancient, right? So, yeah, yeah. um, so I mean, it sounds kind of like this really like far off, super old, like that sort of country. But it's pretty modern. Like they, I think they have one of the most like large technological sorts of thing. I think they have more startups per capita or something, something like that. I, Skype was invented there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of computer companies, like you said, Skype was invented there. So, so then, and then the other, the other side was kind of, I, I remember the first morning, like, so we, so we stayed in a hotel in Tallinn and then everyone was jet lagged. So I woke up at like four in the morning and was like, Oh, I'll go get some coffee. And I remember walking the streets and it felt like a zombie movie because there were all of these people that were just like, like so drunk <laughs> um, at like four in the morning and like walking the streets and they were like really slow to move and were like slurring their words and everything. And so it felt, it was like, wow, they go like really, really hard. I, that, that first trip that I went, me and, and, our friend John, um, we were always kind of like, we liked being like the, the guys that like smoke cigarettes and drink and that sort of stuff. So for us, it was like, even for us, it was shocking, you know, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> which is funny because, you know, we would get drunk. Yeah. Every night. I was going to say, uh, I had a similar experience, except I was probably, Dave and I were probably the zombies that you guys <laughs> saw. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you've been there, you said seven times. And, um, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so now it's kind of like a second home. So you probably don't get a shock when you go over there nowadays, right? No, What's your but, impressions uh, now? but it's also, it's changed a lot or, or at least, um, Tallinn has like, it, it's, there's been a lot of like, there's a, there's like a, a downtown, like hipster area where there's like, like one of those packing house food court type things. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. there's, so the the culture has shifted a lot and it's kind of become more modern. I mean, even I think Estonia became free from the Soviet union in like 1990 or something like that, like 1991, somewhere around there. And so when we visited, I mean, it was the kids that we were, that we were doing the camp with were like 17, 18 and were basically like born, like they're kind of basically the first generation that, doesn't wow. know the feeling of the Soviet. Yeah. Rule. Um, and so I think as, as like more time has gone by they they're some of the fear is left, you know? Um, yeah. And so they, they've definitely like the, I guess the, the city, I don't have a really distinct memory of it, but the, but the city felt a little bit more like dirty under construction, kind of like that feeling or like unkempt yeah. a little bit. Um, the, the first two times that I went. Yeah. So we came, we, Dave and I went to Estonia straight from Russia, and I, I, I think that we experienced some of that kind of a little bit of a grungy kind of feel. Yeah. But compared compared to where we were living in Russia, it was like it was like great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe coming from uh, you know Orange County or L.A. area, like maybe that could be a, a an impression that you get. Do you have any fun stories or crazy experiences that you had out in Estonia? Uh, like sauna is always like, I know that like Russian sauna is like a thing and like Estonian sauna is kind of the same thing. Like, like everyone's just comfortable being naked. So you do sauna and then like a bunch of people are naked and I'm American. So that feels weird. (laughs) 
um, the first, like the first time we were in Old Town, we were exploring, and like Old Town is just like this old, like it's like cobblestone. It feels, it feels really, it feels Very like medieval. an old town. Yeah, medieval. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and yeah. so we were just exploring, and then we found this building that said uh, "Kicking the Cock," but it, it's <laughs> "Kick in the Cock." Um, yeah. And so, so we thought it was funny, and I, I'm. I feel like there's a cannon in front of it, and I think that we took a picture where I was like sitting on the cannon, like it was my penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. We uh, we took some pictures in front of that too, and we'll post post that up on uh, social media, yeah. so y'all can see that. But yeah, we had we had a very similar experience where we just stumbled upon this building and it, thought it was hilarious. What's funny is it, when I go there now, like I have Sprint, and so I get like low level service while I'm there, which is crazy. And so I can use navigation, hmm. but if I open up the map on old town, like it always comes up like as a landmark. So anytime <laughs> I, I look up old town when I'm in Estonia on my phone, it says kicking the cock. That's awesome. Um, Hey, so just to kind of finish things off here, is there anything that you would want any of our listeners to know about Estonia or know, like, is there any shared experience that you'd like to to share with them. I mean, the, so the reason that, that I go back to Estonia every year um, on like the church trip that we do is there's kind of like this, like they are really advanced um, and they are like modern um, and kind of on the surface. Like, I mean, they, they're kind of a more introverted country in general. Okay. Like that's kind of the tone and personality of every Estonian. Right. But you kind of you find out that beneath that there's kind of this really deep longing for connection like there uh-huh. there's a lot of disconnect between um between the parents and the kids and so hmm. we kind of go over there to help them experience connection with one another and facilitate something like that and so for hmm. me but but some of the coolest things for me while I'm there isn't like un, you know under the guise of the church like it's obviously you know you're supposed to have them become christians or whatever and in the mo- in like recent years, the thing that I've loved the most is actually like learning uh, how to be like a really well critically thought skeptic about things hmm. because they are they're very thorough thinkers. And so so a lot of them, it'll be like, oh, well, you know, God is a silly idea or like so many people died in the name of Christianity or whatever. Like and that's just like stuff that we take for granted. Yeah. And so it's like so it's really interesting and really cool. And like I learn a lot and enjoy those sorts of conversations more more than I thought I would, you know, back in the day. But now every year it's almost like I don't really even give a shit about like trying to make them become a Christian as much as just trying to find like an atheist to learn from, you know? Hmm. Um and so they're wow. so so I think that, you know, you hear about these countries and I'm sure Russia's this you guys had a similar experience where where you kind of feel like you're like, oh, man, this place is so far behind or like, you know, the like what I have is better than what they have. And then it's like and then you kind of discover these ways in which it's like, oh, wow, no, they actually know like I, I have a lot to learn from them. There's a lot of shit in my yeah. life that that they can help me with, you know. Yeah, that is that is a little bit of some of our experience too. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, sharing with us, Thomas. It's great to hear from you on this, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to hear from you again sometime. Are you uh, Are you planning to go back next summer? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna be me and Ashley, my girlfriend, are we're leading a trip. So. All right. Cool. Well, you guys have a have a good trip. That t- no, I'm not gonna say that. That's silly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a year ahead. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, uh, well, it was great. It was great talking with you, man. Thanks for sharing your experiences and thanks for sharing in, uh, this, this whole podcast to Russia with love. Of course. Anytime. I'm loving it. All right. We'll talk to you later, man. All right. Bye. Bye. Estonia was really a special place for us back then and even now. But really, Russia continues to hold the place in our hearts that we always come back to. After the two weeks that we were in Estonia, we got our visas and um, everything was ready to go. So eventually we got back to the Baptists. We got back to Engels. We got back to Russia. Dave, what's... uh? What do we got coming up in the month of October here? We will have our last episode of this season. Our season is ending at the end of October, right, Grant? Yeah, yeah. We're go- we're uh, gonna put a cap on this season and uh, start preparing for season two. But our last episode uh, is is another one that's pretty close to your heart. Yeah, we'll be talking in that last episode. We're it's going to be really close to Halloween, and so for the occasion, we're going to be talking about the mysterious side of Russia. And we're going to be telling some true real-life stories of unexplainable and paranormal uh, accounts from Russia. Stories of strange things falling from the sky, strange phenomena that we can't explain. Uh, we'll be looking at the the dark, the macabre, the mysterious side of Russia and Russia's history. And telling some of our own stories of things that scared us and things that we can't explain that we experienced when we were in Russia. So stay tuned and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Russia With Love. Write a review, download, and click subscribe to never miss an upcoming episode. To stay even more connected, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at TRWL Podcast or Instagram at TRWL underscore podcast. You can always email us anytime at trwlpodcast at gmail.com. To Russia With Love is sponsored by the KGB the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin's personal podcast fund. Спасибо за внимание. Please, thank you.